Welcome to the Raising Boys and Girls podcast. I'm Sissy Goff. I'm David Thomas. And I'm Melissa Trevathan. And we're so glad you've set aside a few minutes to spend with us today. In each episode of this podcast, we'll share some of what we're learning in the work we do with kids and families on a daily basis at Daystar Counseling in Nashville, Tennessee. Our goal is to help you care for the kids in your life with a little more understanding, a little more practical help, and a whole lot of hope. So pull up a chair and join us on this journey from our little yellow house to yours. The Raising Boys and Girls podcast is brought to you in partnership with Minnow. Minnow provides meaningful screen time and shared experiences for families to help you grow in your faith together. Check them out at podcast.gominnow.com. That's podcast.gominnow.com. Arlene Pelican is a speaker, podcaster, and author of several books, including Screen Kids, Parents Rising, 31 Days to a Happy Husband, and Calm, Cool, and Connected. She is the host of the Happy Home Podcast and has been featured on the Today Show, Fox and Friends, Wall Street Journal, and Focus on the Family. She and her husband, James, have three children. To learn more and for free family resources, visit Arlene Pelican. That's P-E-L-L-I-C-A-N-E dot com. Arlene, it is a joy to have you be a part of this time. We are so grateful you would carve out time and space to be with us. I had the great privilege of meeting you years ago when you and I were speaking at the same event. And just a week ago, we had the opportunity to intersect again at a conference. And any opportunity I'm given to cross paths with you is a gift and was amazing that you said yes to be with us for this time today, and we're just so grateful and would love to even begin by having you, from your perspective, share a little bit about yourself, your work, your family. We'll start there. Yeah, well, the same right back at you, David, and I still need to meet Sissy in person, but I feel like I know her, and I'm so happy to be with you all. My speaking and my writing is geared towards helping people have a happy home. Mm. So people say, oh, well, that sounds very superficial. But it's the kind of home where you feel loved, where you feel secure, where you come home and there's joy. And you don't have to come from one to create one. So it's the idea of, you know, how can we talk to experts? How can we talk to everyday people? What is making this marriage work? What's making the home work? How can we make the marriage kind of more important than the kids in that sense? Because, you know, parenting tends to kick that part out. So my (laughs) husband, James, and I have been married for 22 years. And then I have three kids. Ethan is 16, Noel is 14, and Lucy is 11. And so it's just my heart to say, I really enjoy being a mom and a wife. And I want to help and encourage other people to enjoy it also. I love that. I love that you don't have to have come from one in order to have one. Yeah. It's a beautiful statement. Yeah. And we know you are just such a treasured voice in the arena of technology and families. And we are so grateful for your work around that because we just have parents all the time who are asking questions about it. And so maybe we could start with how does a parent know if their child has been on screens too much? In the book, Screen Kids, I co-authored with Dr. Gary Chapman, you know, you'll find a list in there. You know in your gut 
if you're mm. asking questions like, okay, is my child like a little too in love with that iPad? Is my child going <laughs> a little too overboard with Netflix? You kind of know because you're asking these kinds of questions. If you're not thinking about it at all, then your child is probably just fine. So just the fact that you're wondering about it, it's something it is worth investigating. There are things like their child doesn't have the same interests that they used to. Maybe they used to love riding their bike around, or maybe they used to love playing the piano, or they loved hanging out with friends. Friends, and then all of a sudden, they stopped doing that. My cousin lives in a cul-de-sac, and she would say, man, the girls used to always hang out together, but then this one girl got an iPad, and then she never came out. And then the neighbor girls would knock on the door, like, come out and play. And she's like, eh, I'd rather play video games. So that's when you know as a parent, like, this, there's something wrong here. Because the stuff you normally did, you have stopped doing them. Uh, maybe your child is only happy when they are gaming, when they're on social media, when they have a device in their hands. And you're like, wait a minute, you should be able to be just fine without, you know, holding this. Maybe they're getting kind of sneaky that you see, hey, oh my goodness, what are you doing? Oh, you're in the closet with a phone. You know, so they're they're exhibiting behavior where they're kind of sneaking around and trying to use it. They're disobeying rules to use it. They're normal things like maybe they used to get their homework done and they're not getting it done anymore, or they used to take showers every other day and they're not even really hitting that benchmark, you know. Yeah. So these things that you see negative consequences in their life because of their screen time, mm. changes in behavior, mood swings, you know, they're becoming more angry at you. They're difficult when they're asked to come away from the phone, come away from the video game, the device, all those things. Those are all warning signs that, wait a minute, this might be too much. I like what Melanie Hempe, she's a nurse. She has Screen Strong is the name of her organization. And she just talks about like the casual gamer, the casual, and you can use it for anything, casual social media user, Netflix watcher, whatever. Casual, at-risk, addictive. And she's like, the casual person's the one that, hey, they play a game for half an hour, and then they're like, okay, I'm kind of bored, and then they walk away and they do something else, and they don't ask for it for another five days. Your at-risk person is like, okay, I know I'm supposed to only watch during the weekends, but every day I'm asking, hey, can I get on my game? Hey, can I open up Netflix? Hey, can I get my phone back for social media? So they're asking, you know, okay, this person's kind of at risk. They've been asking a lot. And then you have your addicted where it's, okay, we served dinner two hours ago, and you can heat it up in the microwave because you didn't show up, you know, and, and so they are not showing up to things because they are on their devices. And I think that's helpful. And that's a moving target. There might be a day where your kid's doing great, but then maybe a few weeks go by and you realize, oh, I've been letting this slip and they've been playing a lot more and, and I've got to do this reset. So it's not a one and done. You kind of are watching your children and then leading the way by, hey, we need to reset this because this isn't quite working. Well, I mean, as you're describing all of that, it makes me think from a mental health perspective, obviously addiction. I mean, it sounds yes. like any addiction and it sounds so much like depression, which we yeah. know all those things can so easily get intertwined. So yeah. I'm so grateful for you delineating those things for us to be aware of. Well, and I'd love to even build on that. How would you say, Arlene, that increased screen time threatens the emotional and educational development of children? There's this picture that helped me. It was an experiment done a long time ago in the 50s and the 70s by Blakemore and Cooper, and they did it with kittens. And they put these little kittens in the dark for the first few weeks of their lives, and then they let them out for one hour, and they put them in a cylinder, and they could just see the world out of this little cylinder for one hour a day. And then after doing this for a few months, they let them out normal to see what did that do. And it turned out that the kittens, even as they turned into cats, never did certain kitten behaviors. So the researcher could touch their nose, and the kitten didn't 
run away. They gave him an object to chase. Kitten didn't do anything. And they kept bumping into things because they just didn't learn those things as they were developing. And I can't help but think that cocoon that the kitten, the little cylinder that the kitten was looking at the world in, that's like our kids today. They're like in this little cylinder where they're holding their iPad, they're holding their phone, they're sitting on a video game console or watching TV. And to us as parents, it's like, okay, they're safe because they're inside and I know where they are. But emotionally, mentally, physically, they're kind of cocooned, like completely static still. And I think that is the risk of, wait a minute, if kids are spending so many hours a day playing on an app or watching a YouTube video, what aren't they doing, right? They're not talking to a parent, talking to a sibling, talking to a friend, able to read body language and facial expressions. They don't know skills like whether it's like cooking something or, you know, like simple things. Uh, I remember hearing Temple Grandin, she's this amazing person who has autism, and she was saying, you could tell a child, hey, go turn on like the sprinkler system, just like turn it on. And she's like, most kids now don't even know where that is, like just to turn mm. on the hose, like turn on the garden hose. And she's like, people don't even know how to do that. <laughs> so just the idea that there's so much we're missing because we are on screens all the time. And I think emotionally, we aren't getting our love tanks filled up with, you know, Dr. Gary Chapman, my co-author with those five love languages. We're not getting a physical touch. We're not getting those words of affirmation. We're not spending the quality time because the devices are taking that. So emotionally, we're like hungry. And so the kids, I think, are in this little cylinder that is very unhealthy. And if they're growing up that way, then it means when they're older and they're adults, those pathways in the brain have not been formed. You know, the pathway that says, when I meet someone, I should look them in the eye and shake their hand. It's like that pathway wasn't formed. When I'm in a new social setting and I'm sitting amidst strangers, you know, at a conference or a business meeting or whatever, I could look at the person next to me and start talking to them. You know, it's like there's not a pathway there that's been built through experience. And I think that's what's going to hurt a lot of kids as they grow up is they won't know how to relate. And of course, to the stranger, it's good to relate to the stranger, but even more importantly, to be able to relate to the closest people in their lives, that they're they're not used to that. So I think that's the real danger of screen time is they grow up and they're malnourished and they don't know what to do. Mm. Wow. I sure heard you in the midst of that answer use the word we, <laughs> that it was yeah. sometimes them, but sometimes it's also yes. us. And, right. and so in light of that, what would you say in terms of how can parents really model healthy screen relationship perspective and how those come together? Yeah. It starts with being honest, right? With letting, right. we being okay with our, your teenage kids saying to you, well, mom, dad, you are on the phone a lot. So, right. so I have this thing called the pivot. And basically it was born out of when I write books, it's not like I'm writing them on paper. I'm facing a computer. I'm all in, I'm on the computer and my kids, you know, all through writing books, my kids would be home and blah, blah, blah. So they'd come up to me. And so I realized, oh, when I hear my daughter, Lucy, for instance, who's 11 now, but you know, come up the stairs and my office is at the top of the stairs, I realized when she's coming up the stairs, I should literally pivot away from my computer, look at her and say, mm. hey, Lucy, how are you doing? Instead of her just always looking at the back of my head, right? <laughs> because then the interaction was so different. She might just be saying, mom, can I have a snack? And, you know, the back of my head can say yes, but it just worked out so much better when I pivoted away from my device looked her in the eye and said, sure, you can have a snack. And then she went downstairs. But it's this idea of it doesn't take you any more time. 
as an adult to pivot always away from whatever device you're holding to have mm. eye contact with whoever it is talking to you. Because how many times have we as moms and dads, our eyes are locked on the screen and we're saying things like, it's five more minutes till we go, go get your shoes, make sure you get your permission slip. Okay, we're going to go. It's going to be a hot day. Get your water. And we're saying all these things, but we're looking at a screen and it doesn't communicate to the people in your life. You know, if you do that once or twice, it's not a big deal. Don't feel guilty about that. But every day, if your kids see, wow, mom or dad, they communicate to us, but their eyes are always on a device, that's going to say to your child, you know, as Dr. Chapman says, you are not as important to me as this device. And I know anyone listening to this podcast, that is not what you want. Right. So one thing as a parent is just always pivot. Mm. I tell you, I mean, it just happened to me today that I was finishing up a text and my daughter came in and I'm thinking, Arlene, pivot, Arlene, pivot. And I'm thinking, well, I want to finish my text. I want to finish my text. So it is it is a battle. But you know, if you really are into something, pivot really quickly. Hey, let me finish this text and I'll be right with you. Finish it up. And then, hey, what do you need? And it's just the idea, if you can model with your eye contact, I will look at you instead of my device. That's a perfect place to start. Meal times that you will say, hey, let's all put our screens away, even the parents, you know, mm. and parents lead the way. If you're complaining that your kids and your teenagers are online too much, but they see you, you're always at quote unquote work all day long. They're going to say that's eh, a mixed message. So you as a parent have to go, oh, you know what? Sunday afternoons, let's all unplug and let's go to the park, you know, or whatever. And so schedule those times. Something that's been super helpful for us as a family is my husband loves ultimate Frisbee. It's like soccer with a Frisbee. So you throw it to each other, you run around a lot. So every <laughs> Sunday afternoon, we play ultimate Frisbee in the park. And it's a reason for everyone to get out. And it's good on so many levels. So as parents lead the way to say, okay, let's get offline and I will start. It's great. So great. And way to go on playing Ultimate Frisbee. Right? That's impressive. <laughs> My foot hurts, so I haven't played for weeks. It's like <laughs> I'm too old for this. I've got to re-engage at some point. <laughs> Arlene, what technology would you say is beneficial in a child's development? Yeah, because you do see this technology. It's everywhere. And the reason we adopt it as parents is we say, hey, that's cool. That could be good for my child. I'll go ahead and do that. So I live in Southern California in San Diego, a lot of Spanish speakers. So we have this dual immersion program where the kids can learn Spanish and English in school. So we thought that'd be really cool. Let's do that. Well, James and I don't speak Spanish. So when they were little, you know, four years old, five years old, they were doing Rosetta Stone, which is basically like language learning, right? So they're on the computer, they're doing their Rosetta Stone. And we found like, that was really cool because then they started school and they had a few sentences of Spanish under their belt, and it's something we couldn't teach them. So there are certainly things, you know, you can be reading the Bible, you could have a Bible app, you could have for your teenagers, they might be in a group chat with your youth pastor, like there are some pretty cool things that can be done online. The problem is when you say, hey, child of mine, what are you doing? Usually they're not doing those really cool things. They're doing something different. And so there are good things, but I think that whatever you can do to delay the personal device going into their hand, when it's something like just a laptop and they're doing Rosetta Stone at the kitchen table, you know, that's easier to say, hey, let's do that for 30 minutes and then let's close that down. And then, you know, that technology was used for a purpose with our family values and it served its purpose and we're happy for it. 
But once it goes in their pocket, once they walk around with it, you kind of have no idea what they're doing with it. So just delay as much as you can and be purposeful, like realize, okay, this could be good. So we're going to use it. Maybe we have to enhance some math skills. So we're going to do some, you know, math, you know, your your kid's not going to get addicted to that. So, you know, find those good things and you can for sure use them, but just be really wary of, okay, let's just let you have the iPad. Let's let's just have the phone because most likely they're not going to be doing those good things. Digital vegetable versus digital candy and the candy's going to win out every time. Digital vegetable versus digital candy. That's awesome. So great. The Raising Boys and Girls podcast is brought to you in partnership with Minnow. Did you know that Minnow has an award-winning children's Bible? Written by VeggieTales creator Phil Vischer, the Minnow Laugh and Grow Bible for Kids is more than a children's Bible storybook. It's a deep, engaging, and whimsical gospel experience. Each Bible story is vividly illustrated, takes just minutes to read, and includes a family connection to encourage readers to learn, talk, and pray together. Find out more at shop.gominno.com. That's shop.gominno.com. So two things we hear in our office a lot. One is single parents who say, what do I do? I cannot keep up with it. I can't monitor to the same extent. I'm not there. I'm at work and I just don't have the bandwidth. Yeah. And the other would be parents. And sometimes they're in the same house and sometimes they're divorced and in two different houses. Yeah. I feel like so often I've had parents who say the other parent just doesn't care. They will not yes. enforce any kind of limits in terms of technology. So what would you say in each of those scenarios to the parents? Yeah, for that single parent, if you can keep that phone and iPad as dumb as possible for as long as possible. So let's Mm. say they have to communicate with you instead of giving a smartphone, you know, give a very simple phone that just texts and that's it. And that way, because it's too much to monitor, like that is a full-time job to monitor (laughs) what is on my child's phone and you already have so much to do. And the earlier you start, of course, the better. Because as your kids are younger, you're like, sorry, this is the only phone I'm going to give you. It texts. You can reach me. That's what it's for. That's all you get. And that can stay throughout elementary school. I would even say in middle school, like you can hold that line if you start early. It's hard at first to convince your child, why am I getting this phone instead of the phone that my friends have, right? That's hard at first. But then later, as you go on, it's going to be much easier for you to have to manage all that. Once that, let's say, okay, that's nice, but I've already given my child a smartphone. What do I do now? You know, so then it's this idea of, all right, are there only certain apps that you're going to allow? Are there limits that you're going to do for time that's going to shut down at 9 p.m.? automate some things to make your life a little bit more easygoing as much as you can. Um, Dr. Chavin always talks about that early bedtime, especially for single parents, that it's good for your kids. What's the problem with mental health? It's sleep. The kids Mm. are not sleeping. And so if you as a single mom, as a single dad, can get your kid to bed earlier, not only is that good for them, for their mental health, for their physical health, et cetera, but it's good for you because if you know, oh, I don't have to like manage them, so to speak, until 10 o'clock at night, but instead at eight o'clock, they're going in their room, they're allowed to read books and then lights out at 830. If that's your rhythm, whether that's a new rhythm you introduce, it's a good rhythm. 
I've got two high schoolers and an 11 year old. And even through COVID, it's like 8.30, everybody's kind of starting to wind down. Once in a while, we might watch a family movie that goes past nine o'clock. But you know, by 9 p.m., the you know lights are out and people are starting to shut down and they're pretty old. And so having rhythms and routines, that's really comforting towards a child and really comforting for that single parent who needs that time then at the end of the day to regroup and catch up and all those things. Mm. And, you know, for that blended family that then they might disagree, Laura Petherbridge, the start, smart stepmom, she talks about this, that technology is the number one thing they're disagreeing about because one wants to be the nice parent and give the phone. And the other one is like, why are you giving our 12-year-old a phone? You know, so that is certainly, that is hard. And just like anything in life, it is talking to that other parent and saying, okay, at the core, we both want what's best for our child. Let's just agree on that. We both want what's best. So what can we do to make our homes as congruent as possible? Maybe you allow like 10 hours of video games on the weekends and I allow zero. So maybe we go to five, you know, and just trying to see, you know, is there something we can negotiate? And if there isn't anything, then it's like, okay, then you got to just be strong and say, I know that's at so-and-so's house. That's how it goes. But at our house, this is how we do it and make your house as fun and joyful as possible so that there are other things. Maybe they play video games at the other house, but at your house, they're learning how to cook their favorite meal or they're, you know, with your dog or, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like find out what they like. Do they like music? Do they like pets? Do they like skateboards? Do they like biking? And it's like, okay, at our house, we're going to do those things. Do they like art? Like let's invest in that. Because there are some times where you will just be at an impasse and you'll just want to make it as screen-free as possible in your home. Mm. Arlene, one of the things I love about your work is you've not only written great content for parents around screens, but also content for grandparents. Mm. And we are hearing more than ever that grandparents are struggling in that space of seeing their adult children maybe setting different limits than they would have set had technology been a part of their parenting journey. And so I'd love to even ask, how can grandparents get involved in screen time with their grandkids? Yeah. How can parents and grandparents help keep technology from becoming an electronic babysitter? There's not much out there. And that is why Dr. Chapman and I wrote this little companion book for screen kids, Grandparenting Screen Kids. He's a grandparent, so he knew much better than me. And he basically was saying for grandparents, if you see your adult children and you're just like, what? Like, why are you so lax with the phone or, you know, et cetera? He says, you just have to remember you are not the parent. It is not your place to say, this is how you should be parenting because your adult kids are probably not going to respond to that very well. So he just said, you know, step back and realize you are not the parent, but you can be influential. And he did talk about, like, pick your strongest battle. So instead of every day, why are you letting him play Fortnite? Why do they have a phone? Do you not, you know, just be quiet as a grandparent, but pick that thing that you think that's really important. So kind of simplify, so to speak, your grievances. And maybe you would say, hey, I'm so concerned. I see Melanie when she comes to the house and it seems like she can't go five minutes without checking her Instagram feed. Mm. You know, maybe this is something that you should look into. I hear there's these great book called Screen Kids and maybe you should (laughs) read it, you know, but just something that it's not nagging and it's not all the time, 
but that you can say your concerns, but just realize ultimately it's up to that parent of how they're going to parent their child. But when they walk into Nana and Baba's house, that's what they call my parents. When they walk into Nana and Baba's house, that can be your turf where you say, even to your teenagers, all phones in the bin or, you know, hey, with the little kids, some suggestions we give is you tell them, oh, your iPad needs to take a nap and you put a blanket over it and you tell it, <laughs> it takes right. a nap between two and five, it has to rest, you know, and and for your older <laughs> teenagers, you play like it's a like coat check, like it's a theater, like, okay, you can check in your phone and here's your ticket and you get it back when you leave the house, you know, <laughs> and they may roll their eyes and hate that, but secretly they'll be like, kind of relieved, like, okay, good. I don't have to look at my phone for three hours. This is great. And instead, those stories of the grandparents who are teaching their grandkids how to cook, who are teaching their grandkids how to drive, who are taking Mm -hmm. their grandkids to the supermarket and saying, this is a good price for apples. These are Mm -hmm. things that kids don't know and they're memories they can make with their grandparents. And of course, fun things like fishing or walking on taking scavenger hunts or going to the library or getting ice cream. Those are all memories that kids can can make with their grandparents and it's something screen free that you can give them and they really do need face to face relationship so even though they might fight you on why are you collecting my screen i only want to do my screen you know they will later Thank you that they actually know you as a grandparent, because if the majority of your time is just you watching them while they're watching a screen, there's not going to be much of a relationship there. Now, we understand you as grandparents. You're tired. That's why you had your children already and you retired. <laughs> you know, I'll never forget the conversation I heard in the grocery store of two grandpas talking, and they were asking each other, when's your wife going to retire? And he's like, oh, she's going to keep working. It's way easier than watching the grandkids, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> so we get it that you. we don't expect you to run around with your grandkids all day long. So yes, maybe you do need a one hour, like say, and and then I suggest use the old fashioned DVD player. Grandparents, you probably have one of those around because then there's a start and there's a finish, right? And it's not like Good. this endless question of, can we watch the next YouTube video, grandma? Can we watch the next program on Netflix, grandma? But instead it's like, oh, it's over. You know, so the old technology I think is kind of clever because it does have a beginning and it does have an end and it's not wired to be addictive. So from, you know, eight to nine, there's your DVD and that's your time to nap, grandma and grandpa. And then boom, you're up and at it again. But your kids, your grandkids will get used to like, oh, they want us to read. Oh, they want us to help them to make the dinner. Oh, like you can involve your grandkids in doing things so that you don't have to be so exhausted trying to help them all the time. And after a while, when they realize, oh, I guess the iPads aren't coming out, those books will start looking pretty good. The coloring will look pretty good. The boxes will look pretty good. Kids know how to play. And I really think we do them a disservice when we think they can't figure out something to do. Like they can figure something out to do that doesn't have to be plugged in. I love that. You're inspiring me as an aunt. Yes. Even when my nephew is, we call him bunking parties. And when he has a bunking party, it takes me so long to get the remote to work. There's no instant gratification or anything. So he's developing some good skills. He's going to start coloring just while I'm trying to get the remote to work. Still waiting. Yes. But I love that. And I think what you're describing is the industriousness of kids. You know, they will. They come up with these amazing things. And reflecting on that and thinking about your own kids, which are, say again, the age range, what are they? Yeah. So they're 11, 14, and 16. 11, 14, and 16. So if you had to say what you're learning from them right now, whether it's about screens or whether it's just about life in general, what do you feel like you're learning from them? I see every kid is different. 
that we all have our different tendencies. So what for one child might be able to like do something and set it down. Another child is just like, let me look at that again. You know, so all your kids are different. So you don't have to do the same rule for all of them. And I know that doesn't seem fair, but they are all different, you know. Um, But on the flip side of that, all of them, just like us, have the propensity to just stay on too long. No matter how righteous, amazing, purposeful, studious, good-natured they are, when they are on YouTube, they want to watch one more thing. And they start it at one o'clock, and then all of a sudden they realize, oh my word, it's 2.30 in the afternoon. What has happened? You know, that happens to all three of my kids, and it's a tendency that all of us have. On a positive note, I have seen how technology, my son plays the piano, And so he's learning how to produce some music. He's learning how to record himself. He's putting his videos on YouTube and things like that. And I do think there is a difference between creating content and consuming content. And when Mm. people are creating for a specific purpose and it's in their wheelhouse of their interest, that could be something very healthy as long as they don't care about how many likes they get. Mm. (laughs) Once you go in that direction, then it's like, oh no, this is terrible. (laughs) You know, but I've seen him be very useful with with that. like that's been a positive thing. And I really do see, and I my kids go to public school. They have been online all year, so they are on the computer a lot. Wow. But they are attested to me. They do not have smartphones. And my son, who's the 16-year-old who does not have a smartphone, you know, he has a Google voice number. Because people always ask me, like, how does he do it? How does he function as a high schooler if he doesn't have that? And it's not like he's under a rock, you know what I mean? Like he's the captain of the debate team, he's a co-captain of the quiz bowl team, and he does it, he does all his group chats on the iMac, and it totally works, you know? And he has piano students, he teaches students, so he's using, so he has to text parents, and it works. So once in a while, things kind of fall, you know, by the wayside because he didn't have a phone in his hand. But for the most part, it works really, really well. So it's kind of proof that you can get around it. Like a lot of people think that's not even possible, (laughs) but to realize there are workarounds. And we've kind of started chatting about, you know, he'll be a senior next year. If we let you have a phone, but you had to pay for a phone, what would you do? And he has said that he wouldn't get one because he doesn't want to have to pay for it, which is so so funny. funny. But isn't that real world? Mm. These devices don't just drop from the sky. That's what Mm. kids think. But they're expensive and parents have to pay for them. And for you as a parent, if you're listening, like make your kids kid, pay for the whole thing, pay for half, they will have a very different perspective about that phone when they have to pay for it. And that's more real world. And then it gives the expectation of, okay, well, when you work and when you can do things, maybe you'll earn it versus me just dropping it in your lap when you're 12, you know, so just think about it. And I can really say my son, Ethan, I use him a lot right now just because he's the oldest. So it seem most ridiculous that he doesn't have one. They'll say, you know what, mom, there are people who are not going to gravitate toward me because I'm awful at video games and I don't have a phone and I'm not on social. So yeah, that's going to exclude me from some circles. But people like that who don't even want to know me at all just because I don't have those things, those aren't really the people that I want to get to know. And the people that are my friends, you know, they think it's unusual, different, but we still have plenty of things to talk about and to do together. And those are the kinds of friends that I want. And so for those who are afraid, like, what if they're left out? I can tell you with my whole heart, they might be left out right now in a video game circle, but when they are 20, 
25, 30, they are not going to be left out because they are going to know how to talk to people, how to fall in love, how to get married, how to have children, how to keep a job. Like they will know how to do those things where the video game crowd is going to be like, okay, all we know how to do is talk about video games. We do not really know how to do anything else. And that's going to be a problem. So rather have your kid be left out now. And if you raise your kids to be confident in it, like my kids will be like, nobody gives us flack because we act confident, Mm -hmm. right? We don't act apologetic, like, oh, I don't have this. No, they act confident. And then people are like, whoa, how come you have so many skills? Well, it's like, because we have a lot of time because we don't (laughs) play video games, right? So if you will provide competency, whether it's, you know, my one daughter likes to ride horses, my other daughter likes cardistry, Ethan likes um, modifying Nerf guns and doing piano. Like if you give them other things, then it's like they feel competent and then it's not so important that they, you know, stink at video games or that they have no followers on social media. Arlene, this has been such a rich conversation. You have offered so much, I think, to parents who are listening, and we would say about every parent who walks through our doors feels overwhelmed in some way by this animal of technology. Such great practical content. We couldn't urge you enough to explore her amazing resources. And we're going to ask you if you would share with us how folks could find your content, how they could find out information about you. ScreenKidsBook.com. ScreenKidsBook.com will lead you to Screen Kids and Grandparenting Screen Kids. And also Dr. Gary Chapman and I do a webinar that is you can watch right in the comfort of your own home on demand. So that's something you can do by yourself in a small group, et cetera. So ScreenKidsBook.com. And then I'm working in the future, I'll be working on a masterclass around Screen Kids, and you'll find that in the future at HappyHomeUniversity.com. HappyHomeUniversity.com. Awesome. And we love to end with a fun, playful question. If we are able to make our way to California, we're extremely hopeful that we can share a meal with you at some point in the near future. And we have a particular affection for tacos and would love (laughs) to know if we could have that meal with you, what's your favorite kind of taco? Yes, we would go to this Revolution Street Tacos place and we would have a carne asada taco and it would be delicious. It'd be really good. They're little, so you'd have to eat like three of them, but they're really good. (laughs) That will not be a problem for me. Not at all. (laughs) No, that sounds wonderful. We're going to hold you to that. Yes, please. Thank you. I feel like this just has been so illuminating and helpful and powerful and just practically equipping for parents. We joke a lot about how. I think eight years ago, 10 years ago, when we would teach parenting seminars, hands down, the number one question we would get was about sex. And now it's about technology. You know, it's just that that overwhelming. Yes. That is true how it would have shifted. That is funny. I had not thought of that. So your voice in this is just, I'm so grateful. Thank you. Yeah, you just have so much truth and wisdom. So thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you so much for having me. The Raising Boys and Girls podcast is brought to you in partnership with Minnow. Minnow helps you make screen time meaningful for your family with shows kids love and values parents trust. Check them out at podcast.gominnow.com. That's podcast.g-o-m-i-n-n-o.com. It's our joy to bring the experience and insight we gain through our work beyond the walls of the Daystar House. Join us next time for more help and hope as you continue your journey of raising boys and girls.